if you're a leader, you lead the way. Not just uh, on the easy ones, you take the tough ones too. A good leader has to understand the people that are under him, understand their, their needs, their, their desires, or how they think a little bit. It seemed like he always made the right decisions along the way. He was a real soldier. Some of the, some of the officers, uh, I don't think I would follow them in the water. But uh, he was he was one of the best. He went right in there and he didn't know. He never thought of not being first or sending somebody in his place. I don't know how he survived. Yeah. Hey folks, you're listening to the Wait What If podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Sullivan. Tonight's topic is what is a leader? Those voices you heard at the beginning uh, were some men from a unit better known as the Band of Brothers. They were speaking about their commander, Dick Winters. Dick Winters is the perfect example of a great leader. And if you're un- unfamiliar with his story, I highly suggest reading Band of Brothers by Stephen Ambrose. Um, he writes the best books, as far as I'm concerned, uh, about World War II. I've read them all. They're fan- fantastic. Um, or just watch the miniseries. It's on HBO, and uh, there's just a lot to take away from the men who are part of that elite group of veterans. Uh, they found themselves in situations of severe adversity, and they persevered. Um, and and if you're ever if you ever feel like you're stressed or your life is is <laughs> sucking at the moment, just look at what what people before you have gone through. I had um, Dr. Christopher Ryan on. Uh, I think it was last year he wrote Sex at Dawn. Uh, he's been on Joe Rogan a few times. We talked about the consequence of the lack of struggle in the modern age and its implications on society. And I guess the lack of leadership would be another consequence of that, or current leadership, or the crisis that we currently have in having decent leaders. We all live cush lives, all right? We have magic boxes in our pockets that give us access to all the information ever gleaned throughout human history. We have hot food at the push of a button. We have fresh water throughout our houses, AC in the summertime, heat in the wintertime. Now, that's not to say that there's no leaders today because there certainly are a lot of leaders. And there's also, I assume, a lot of natural leaders out there that'll go untested because of this lack of adversity that we have. So, I mean, just like in World War II, if there was no World War II, would there have been a uh, major winters? We don't know. Can you imagine the stress on our ancestors? This, uh, you know, this is another thing to, to kind of just put into perspective of how easy our lives are today. Can you imagine the stress on our ancestors, say 150 years ago, who experienced a bad crop and had to face a long winter relying on heat from coal and maybe wood? They had little food and dozens of mouths to feed. We think we have stress now, and we pretend to have stress now, but we have it pretty damn easy. So if you haven't guessed it by now, the topic of today's episode is leadership. What is a good leader? I don't intend on definitively answering this question because careers and lives have been dedicated to this very subject. Some say leaders are born, and I guess I would agree with that. But I think it's better to say people are born with the qualities which help them become good leaders. And on top of that, they're met with adverse situations, which 
calls upon them to be good leaders. Can leadership be taught? Mm, That's a tricky one. You can learn all about the qualities of a good leader and mimic that, certainly. I went through military officer school, and they tried their damnedest to teach us about leadership, and I think I learned a lot about this subject. I think I learned more just experiencing life than I did through that school, but I guess, you know, you got to start somewhere. You got to start the the process somewhere. So it's probably a combination of all that. Uh, This week's episode, I have uh, Joel Habaker on to discuss leadership. He is a high school history teacher down in Alabama. Uh, He's also a speaker and author of a recently published book called Inverted Leadership, Lead Others Better by Forgetting About Yourself. And he also wrote uh, Extraordinary Leadership. Actually, it's like extra in parentheses, ordinary leadership. Ten things dad taught me without saying anything. Joel's topics of expertise include leadership, education, and blended family life. We had a great talk. Joel's an interesting guy, and I think you're going to enjoy the interview. So without further ado, Joel Habaker. You're listening to the Wait What If podcast. I self-published a book on leadership this summer, mm-hmm. and um, in that book, I ex- that's one of the, the questions that I explore is, uh, and in my blog as well, you know, and I think that leaders are definitely developed, but I think there are certain traits that we associate with leadership that some people have more natural tendency toward. Um, especially when they're young, the kids that typically emerge as leaders are the big kids because mm-hmm. they're the ones that people notice, or they're the funny kids, or they're the athletic kids. Um, but what one of the things we saw at Duke too was that introverts who who don't normally show a lot of traits. When you think of introverts, you don't normally think of like the athletic star. Right. Not because not because you can't have an introverted athletic star, but typically because if you're a star at sports, you're you're also not introverted. You're out there telling everybody how great you are, especially right, as right. a teenager. You know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but what we saw is that introverts are often way more thoughtful. Then extroverts, I say that as an extrovert, it's just the introverts don't feel the need to tell everybody how great they are because they're too busy thinking. <laughs> right. And and so what you find out then is that a lot of great leaders um, wouldn't necessarily have been great leaders a couple generations ago because they wouldn't have exhibited what we consider to be the traditional traits of a leader. They weren't George Washington who was six feet tall at a time when the average American male was five foot six. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he stood out quite literally. Sure. Um, I don't do that. I'm. I, you can't tell because I'm sitting down in our interview here, but I'm. I'm five foot three and a half, and my my older daughter questions whether the half is true or not. <laughs> um, and so I don't stand out in that sense. Uh, if anything, like I get eyebrow raises. Like, is that guy an adult with a, or is he a like a kid with a beard? Right. Right. You know? Um, and so it's one of those things that you know it's a great question of whether or not leaders are born or made, and I think it's it really is both. Um. And I think that's why it's so important to, you know, there's a there's a great book that came out a couple years ago called Strengths Finder, and then it is Strength Strengths Finder 2.0, and these are books that examine, they help you examine your own uh, strengths, your own uh, abilities, your own gifts, your own um, passions, so that you can maximize them, um, so that you can become better at leadership in your own style, whatever that may be, um, and I think that's important because it gets us beyond. 
the traditional, okay, if you're going to be a leader, you have to be outspoken, you have to be a people person. You know, those are those are good things. I feel like I'm those things naturally, but those don't make a good leader beyond high school. Right. You know, in, in, high, in high school, you're a good leader if you're popular. Like that's all that you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. I think high school elections a lot of times are as a as a high school teacher. Yeah, it's a popularity. I, I, it is. I disparage yeah. high school elections, and I I try not to do that all the time because sometimes you you get good high school leaders. A lot of times you get kids who are just goofy and happen to be popular, and they right. don't do anything useful. Um, and the problem is those kids think they're leaders, and then they go to college and they find out they're not. Yeah. And, then the, they and the kids who could have been great leaders in high school weren't popular, and so they didn't get the chance to grow the way that they might have. Sure. And a lot of that comes from home, too. You know, It does. Stealing yep. confidence. Confidence is a big mm-hmm. factor of it. It is. Um, yeah. Or at least learning to be confident. Um, right. Sports, I think, as a soccer coach, you must know this, is you know, sports being one of the um, big boosters for, for confidence mm-hmm. and leadership. I mean, you get your team captains. Yep. You get your people yep. with experience. You kind of start developing that hierarchy. Mm-hmm. I, I did a lot of martial arts growing up and wrestling and stuff, nice. and and that okay. too. That was very um, well. It was it was confidence, but it also it, it wasn't. Well, I guess it was. It was mental confidence and it was physical confidence, and it was kind of mm-hmm. you know a, a, an all encompassing type of confidence because you knew what your body right. could do. Yep. And and you knew what you could do, and and mm-hmm. if you had any sort of doubts, that could be squashed. Or right. if you went, yeah, I feel like you competed and you had any doubts, right. you're going to find out what they were very quickly. Um, yep. Or the other way around too, where if you had too much confidence that was sort of arrogant, like mm-hmm. that was going to come out too. And that's again another great thing that sports does is. It, it teaches you real quickly that you may not be quite as awesome as you thought you were. Right, right. And uh, that's that's not a fun lesson, but the older I get, the more I I think that humility is the key to being successful in every area of life. Like that's a huge part of what my book was about was what I the concept of leadership that I call confident humility, which in a nutshell is being sure of what you're good at and using those gifts to serve other people. Okay. So that's the, the confidence is being sure of what you're good at. Humility is often misunderstood. It doesn't mean being modest. It doesn't mean pretending you're not good at something when you really are. Humility just means not thinking of yourself at all. It means focusing on other people. So confident humility is taking what you're really good at and using it to serve other people and help them be better than they were. Okay. So that's what I try to do. Like as a teacher and a coach, my job is not to win soccer games or create good soccer players. Mm-hmm. My job is to create good people who are also good at soccer. Right. Because these kids are going to be people a lot longer than they're going to be high school athletes. Yeah. You know, so if we get good at soccer, but we become terrible people in the process, like we wasted our, we wasted our time together. And today's day and age, um, especially over the last five years with like social media becoming, mm-hmm. um, you said, you said extroverts and you know, there's some people who are <laughs> definitely extroverts on social media. They, they become quote leaders or they become, right. um, uh, at least influencers. Yeah, influence exactly. That's a good term. Um, because they took a picture of their ass four times a day after they work out or something. You know what I mean? And there's no <laughs> there's no character there, but it also builds right. it builds this weird sort of you know kids look up to this yeah. for for whatever yes. reason, and it's like yeah, ugh. you know. And that's I think when we were talking because um, for the listeners, uh, Joel and I had, had you know. <laughs> We've been working for a couple of months to start to to have this conversation. <laughs> a but, couple um, is generous. Yeah, when we were talking, um, we were saying that in the 21st century, is there a crisis? Is America, especially, but I guess we could say worldwide, is there a crisis of leadership? 
Yeah, no, I definitely think so. That's that's actually like one of the first lines in my book is in 21st century America, we are facing a crisis of leadership. Right. And I, I don't I don't mean that in any kind of political way. This is not a discussion about, you know, however you may feel about our current administration or whatever. <laughs> right. right. Um, that's that's not the issue. The issue is on a personal basis, mm-hmm. as an, on an individual basis, we're facing a crisis of leadership. And a large part of that is because of what you just described, which is we don't understand what leadership is mm-hmm. and we haven't taught it to um, young people very well. And so when when there's a vacuum, it's going to get filled. That's just the way it is. And so because we haven't taught kids what they should be looking for, they just go for what's entertaining. And so whether that's uh, like you mentioned, somebody who's become famous for being famous mm-hmm. uh, or whether that is simply the kind of the celebrity model of leadership, um, there are lots of great leaders out there. But most young people aren't looking at them. Most young people are looking at entertainers, right, whether right. that's of the, uh, the music variety, the athletic variety, whatever it may be. And again, the problem with that is it's a crapshoot. Some of those athletes are brilliant leaders. Some of them are. You you think of uh, was it uh, the JJ Watts, the NFL player who right. raised like thirty million dollars for helping people. Like that's incredible leadership. That's mm-hmm. um, amazing stuff. Um, sometimes it's less good in terms of their personal character. And I don't want to I don't want to disparage anybody, so I'm not going to throw any negative names out there. But most of us who follow any kind of sports, you can come up with a dozen examples of athletes who let you down in their personal lives yeah, and you think yeah. well, I, I still want to cheer for them but unless people tell us unless unless we teach young people that they don't necessarily they can't separate a lot of times the celebrity status from the the poor decision making in their personal life mm-hmm. um, and so I think it's important that's something that, that my dad taught me uh, growing up you know, he had been a college baseball player and so I played a lot of sports growing up baseball and soccer mostly and dad was real um, conscious of making sure that when we watched baseball, he would say, now, this is an athlete you want to be like, not just because they're good, but because look at what they do off the field. And he mentioned people like Sandy Koufax, mm-hmm. um, who is well-known not just being, for being a brilliant pitcher, but for being a very strong Orthodox Jew. Mm-hmm. Um, he talked about Oral Hershiser as an athlete who uh, – and these both happen to be Dodgers pitchers because dad was a giant Dodgers fan and he'd been a catcher. Um, but – Oral Hershiser is a man with tremendous personal character who was an outspoken Christian and who was also a fierce competitor. And um, so those things aren't mutually exclusive. You can be a brilliant athlete and also hold to your beliefs. Yeah. I and mean, that's look at, look at Roberto Clemente. I mean, they just yep, announced the absolutely. Clemente Award nominees yesterday. Okay. And it's kind of refreshing. I don't know if you follow baseball, but to go through the list, you know, these are the, or the, like the Walter Payton award, you know, mm-hmm. here we, yep. we go through the entire year of, of hearing, um, um, controversy, you know, whether it's right. someone's using performance drugs or someone's right. kneeling or whatever it is, whatever it is. Right. And then we just get into this little nitpicky game of hiding behind avatars on Twitter and, and <laughs> argue and fight with each other. And then right. you see the Walter Payton Award and you hear about what these guys did. And it's like, you know, yeah. perfect, perfect example of leadership. Right. Um, yep. Same thing with the Roberto Clemente. I think that's like a yep. um, uh, humanitarian type of award. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's like the Arthur Ashe Award. Same kind yep. of thing. Same I, thing. I think, I think those are great. Um, I don't follow baseball as much as I used to because when dad passed away, it became real hard to. Okay. Um, yeah. I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't actually watch baseball for probably five years uh, oh, wow. after dad passed away. Um, just cause that's what he, one of the last things he taught me before he died was how to keep a box score. Oh really? And uh, okay. it was, he was, you know, he had terminal cancer. And so in his last few months we got, like I took him to his last baseball game, maybe a couple months before he passed away. It was mm-hmm. a double a game in Chattanooga for the lookouts. And, um, 
we had a great time, and then we went home that night. And sometime within a couple of days of that, he showed me how to. We watched a game on TV. Showed me how to keep a box score. Mm-hmm. And after he had shown me how to do that, he went and found a couple of his old baseball books from in college, where people like he was a catcher. And so he pulled them out and showed them to me. And said, "Okay, so take a look at this box score. What's important about it? What What's unique about this box score?" I looked at it. And I studied it for a minute, and I thought, "It dawned on me. I said, "Holy crap, Dad! This is a no hitter." He said, "Yeah, oh, wow. I caught that." Oh really? That's cool. Yeah, he so he was a he was a catcher at Illinois Wesley and in his senior year he caught a no hitter. And it's like that that's that's crazy. That's so cool. Yeah, people don't um, give the catcher enough credit. He gets an ERA yeah, too. <laughs> that's exactly it. Yeah. Uh, but it was you know, it was just it's a neat thing. So I, I don't follow baseball as much as I used to, but I love the game. Yeah. And like you mentioned, there's a lot of great athletes out there that we could be pointing to. Right. Unfortunately, as a society, and, and again, I'm, you know, I talked over email and stuff. I'm a, I'm a pretty outspoken Christian, so I believe mm-hmm. this is a, a result of the fall. That is, the world is twisted and demented. It's not what it was supposed to be. And so the problem with us as people is that we like negativity more than we like positivity. Sure. And, and I, I you know, my, my high school kids, when I teach this in the first day of class, we always go over what I call worldview stuff. So we get down to the absolute bedrock of what is it you believe and where did that come from? Okay. And uh, and so I you know we talk about the things that so I define worldview as a person's set of core beliefs, um, conscious or unconscious about reality. Um, and and so what that means is a lot of times people aren't even aware of what they believe. They just they act based on that belief. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it goes back to that old quote about the unexamined life is not worth living. So then we start examining our worldviews. We talk about who's influenced it and how it's been influenced and how when you're a little kid, like with, with kids your age, you and your wife are going to be some of the biggest influencers of their worldview until they hit their teenage years. Right, right. And then you're, and then you're still going to have some influence, but by that age they're going to be a lot more influenced by their peers and you know by, God help them, celebrities. Right. Um, and that's why I tell the high school kids, I said that here's the example. If, you, uh, if you're a Boy Scout and you help an old lady across the street, nobody cares. Nobody cares. It's not going to make a newspaper. It's not like you, nobody's even going to read that blog post. Nobody cares. Right. But if you're a Boy Scout and you shove an old lady in front of a bus, <laughs> that's going to be like the lead story on CNN. Yeah. Unless it unless it gets outshone by some bigger horrible event. Yeah. Why? Well, it's because we as human beings we like negativity as long as it's happening to other people. Sure, we we yeah. like we like we like to see other people in crisis because it's entertaining for us. And again, I I view that as a result of the fall, but it's also a kind of a sad condemnation that we have allowed that to really hijack our information gathering systems. So if you look at the trending topics on Twitter, most of the time they're not positive things. No, they they never are. You know, <laughs> if, if you look at if you and I don't care if you look at Fox or CNN or anything in between, if you look at the lead stories, they're almost always negative. And it's because negativity sells. And so part of leadership is learning that while negativity gets the press, positivity is what's going to actually make a difference in the lives of the people around you, which is the whole basis for my understanding of leadership, which is to, uh, you know, the, the way I define it is leadership is the, the art of po- having a positive impact on the people around you um, to help them become better versions of themselves. So that means for like in my house with my wife and kids, my job is to help them become better people, right. and the best way that the best way that I can do that is to live out what that looks like, right? Not because I'm better than them, but because I'm a better version of me than I was a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. Um, sure. You know, and and so again, that's not gonna that's not gonna make a lot of headlines. 
um, you know, writing a book about positive leadership is not going to sell as many copies as a book about a scandal would sell. Um, but I'm not interested. Like, that's not my goal. My goal is to help make my little pocket of the world a better place. And the way to do that is by trying to be a positive influence. Yeah. Well, after after the election, the most recent one, so a year and a half ago, I, mm-hmm. I every morning right before that, I would check the news because it was exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You know, yeah. I, whether side you you bat for, my, my um, right. listeners know I'm a, a staunch libertarian, so okay. you put two and two together. But um, yeah, <laughs> so I, I but I, it's still, uh, and then after the election, I'm like, I can't, I can't do this because like yeah. I was checking just it got for- so negative. It, and it still is. Yeah, and it's 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 I've making done the same thing. It's making journalism questionable. It's like, what are yes. are you a journalist or are you? Um, and it, 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 journalism become editorialization. That's all it is. Yes. We're we're yes. we're we're sticking our mm-hmm, yeah. And if the founding fathers, people don't realize that the whole point of journalism was was to expose the truth. And right, and it didn't matter like a. a in the time, I guess you could say a federalist versus an anti-federalist. It didn't it didn't right. matter. The truth is what mattered. And yeah. then, and and to be fair, there was always a little bit of a slant. Like mm-hmm. in my U.S. history classes, I teach that there were definitely pro-federalist newspapers, and there were certainly pro-anti-federalist newspapers. Yeah, I, guess you can't like, avoid I that. get that. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's part of the worldview discussion we have is that every book you read, every newspaper article you ever read, it's going to be biased in favor of something. Mm-hmm. The question is, how open are they about their bias, mm-hmm. or do they try to hide bias behind? slanted reporting and are they actively working to avoid the bias coming out in their reporting because if you're aware of your bias you can at least try to mitigate that so i again the example i give kids is if i want a history of duke's basketball program i'm not asking a carolina alum yeah i'm not asking i'm not asking my older brother or my best friend who are both gigantic tar heel fans Mm -hmm. that'd that'd be stupid i live in alabama if i want a history of alabama's football program i'm not asking an auburn fan right i'm gonna i'm gonna get the most biased you know, history that anyone's ever read. Yeah. Um, and so what we need to do then is we need to understand that everything we read, everything we hear, it's influenced or biased, if you want to use that term, by someone's worldview. And so if you if you want to get to the heart of that, you have to ask, okay, so what does this person believe? What do they stand for? Or what does their overall agency, again, to go back to the news, CNN, what do they stand for? Mm-hmm. What kind of agenda do they push? Fox, what do they stand for? What kind of agenda do they push? And and then you can at least try to find the truth somewhere in between. So if you were to look at my um, internet browsing history for news, you're going to find Fox, you're going to find CNN, and it's typically one right after the other. Right. Because I, I'll look at whatever the top – so like right now uh, when we're recording this is right in the middle of the, um, the Senate hearings about whether or not to confirm – Chief Justice Ka- or just, uh, Judge Kavanaugh as a Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, right? Right. Yep. And so, if you look at the way that's being reported, um, you'll see it very differently on Fox compared to what it is on CNN. And it's the exact same Senate hearings. It's the exact same disruptions going on. The question is, how is that? How is that being reported? Is it being reported as a positive thing? Is it being recorded as a reported as a negative thing, or is it simply being reported as a thing that's happening? And one of and, the weird things about that too is people are getting their news from places like Twitter, which have yeah. come out that they're actively oh. silencing oh. dissent. You yeah. know, and it's like, yeah. it's like, what do you what do you do in that situation? You know, you can't. 
we couldn't have predicted this 20 years ago. Um, no, nobody could. Because nobody it's, could. it's a public forum, technically, but it isn't. It yeah, isn't. It's a private it's public no, forum, right? It, it's, it, it's exactly right to put it. It is a public forum, technically, but it's mm -hmm. run by private individuals. Right. And right. The, the same is true of most universities, which is why a lot of people, myself included, there really is this view that at a lot of major state universities, there is a tremendous left-wing bias, especially among humanities and social social yeah. science departments. And if you look at the, the political association affiliated with most people that are in those departments, mm -hmm. there is. It's something like 90-10 left-wing to right-wing yeah. in terms of like registered Democrats versus Republicans. Well, then if that's the case, it shouldn't surprise us that our colleges are becoming increasingly liberal and pushing an agenda like that. Whether you agree with that or not, that's up to you. But it shouldn't surprise us that that is the case yeah. because, again, everybody's coming from a certain worldview. And if 90% of the people teaching this stuff are coming from a certain worldview, guess what the kids are going to get? The other thing, too, you know, just by voicing ideas, it's, that's the whole point of, of a conversation, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, people like uh, Ben Shapiro, I'm trying to think of other mm -hmm. names of, of folks that are conservative art are not just booed out of, so let's say oh, they want yeah. to go speak No, they're somewhere. actively attacked at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, firebombs and stuff. And it's like, come on. I mean, the education or learning in general is about sharing ideas. And it's about, if you don't like someone's idea, that's fine. But find right. out why, you know, listen right. to them talk. Yep. This is where high school, the high school debate should be taught everywhere because at this point you should learn how to defend the other side's position so mm -hmm. that you can criticize it. Because what's happened is, like you mentioned with social media, we, we've become – and then I, again, I say this in my classes – we've become a nation of people with a middle school cafeteria mindset. If yeah. I don't like what you have to say, I'm just going to call you a name or make you look stupid and therefore, in the eyes of other ignorant people, invalidate your argument. Yeah. I'm not going to engage in the substance of your thoughts. I'm simply going to label you, humiliate you, and therefore make you look ridiculous so no one wants to side with you. Right. And that's true – even in journalism now, to a degree that I've never seen before, even studying history. Mm -hmm. um, because again, like you mentioned, people like Ben Shapiro, they're not just booed, they're not questioned by... Um, that was my dog coughing. I, was, I don't know if you heard my dog squeaking his chew toy <laughs> yeah, over yeah. here a little while ago. That was Bruiser with his orange glowing chew toy. Um, but yeah, those you know conservative speakers aren't just booed off campuses. They have to have extra security so they're not attacked. Yeah. Well, what on earth are we teaching people when not only do we allow that, we actively encourage that as a society. Yeah. And, and again, that goes back to some of the high-level national leadership on both sides. Again, it's not just left or right wing that's done it. Both, both sides have been guilty of this. Um, but it's one of those things where you look at it and you say, how can you with a straight face tell your children bullying in a school is bad, but bullying on a college campus, as long as it's conservatives, totally fine? Yeah. Totally or, fine. Or bullying via a tweet with the uh, right yeah yeah public that. public social media shaming um yeah i did a uh, i did a podcast interview a couple weeks ago with a guy and um one of the things that i said in the podcast i afterward i said now again please tell your listeners not to come after and crucify me on twitter for voicing this somewhat controversial opinion i would love to talk with them about it if they'd actually like to debate it mm -hmm. but if they want to just call me names and stuff please tell them don't right and we'll see when the, whenever that interview gets aired, we'll find out whether that happens or not. But what's you know. what's the answer for that? What's the um, so we can go into does leadership play a role in? I don't want to say I don't want to say fixing the problem because 
it's, it seems too simple. How do you, I'll use the word ameliorate. How do we ameliorate the That's, problem? Yeah. So I think it has to be done on two levels. One is the national and one is the personal. Um, at the national level, we need leaders from both sides of the aisle. I don't care if it's the president or if it's like the minority leader of the House or the Senate. We need leaders from both sides of the political aisle to literally stand next to each other on the podium and say, okay, this has got to stop. Yeah. This has got to stop. The, the, the crazy white supremacists who tried to get a rally together and couldn't even get anybody together, yeah, yeah. We need, that's not okay. Right. And, and the, the, the people on the other side, the Antifa, that, mm-hmm. that can get plenty of people together, we need that to stop too. Not because we don't respect free speech. We do respect free speech, but that's not helping. When, when you are shutting down free speech by violence, that's not anti-fascism. That is the definition of fascism. That's right. That's right. Um, and, but again, but we need people on both sides to say that because otherwise, if only, if only the left comes out and says it, the right's still going to feel very attacked. If only the right comes out and says it, the left's still going to feel attacked. And for me, again, this all goes back to humility. The question is, are you willing as a national leader to step out of your comfort zone and say, this may cost me my position at the national level, but it's still the right thing to say. And, yeah. and so that's at the top level. At the bottom level in our homes, as parents, you and I, we need to be teaching our kids, hey, listen, here's what you're going to see and hear in the news. That's not how adults are supposed to act. I realize that you're not seeing a good example right now when you watch the news. Mm-hmm. But like my daughters are sitting in here while we're having this recording. They've seen me coach soccer games. They've seen me sometimes where I treat referees really well. Sometimes they've seen me where I treat referees really poorly. Mm-hmm. And what I need to do is I need to – my, my daughter's headbanging to nod over sitting on the couch right now in agreement. <laughs> okay. What, what I need to do is I need to be more consistent with setting a good example in how to treat other people. Right. Because a soccer game is not that important. And if I yell at a guy like he's an idiot because he made a call I didn't like, well, it, then it shouldn't surprise us that when we're arguing over huge national security matters, emotions are going to get heated. Mm-hmm. What we need then is we need good personal examples in every home showing kids and adults how we ought to treat each other. We need to have this kind of civil discourse and conversation so that we can learn again how to treat people well, even when we disagree with them. Like, if you go back and you watch movies about the, like you mentioned, the founding fathers, it almost seems cheesy the way they disagree with with each other because they'd say, my distinguished colleague from the great state of South Carolina has voiced this opinion, which is less than desirable. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, And it sounded really overdone and formal, but at this point, I can totally see the value in it sure. because at least they were respectful. He didn't call him the idiot from South Carolina. He called him my esteemed colleague. And he didn't say, this guy's a, a jack wagon. He said he voiced an opinion that was less than desirable. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It was, it was just a different way of relating to each other. And it wasn't because the issues weren't big. I mean, for crying out loud, we're talking about revolution or we're talking about slavery or we're talking about segregation. These are giant issues. Yeah. But – the way that the disagreement happened was a lot more civil most of the time. Now, again, one of the things I teach in my history classes is about um, Senator Charles Sumner, who was actually beaten on the Senate floor by someone who disagreed with something he had said. That is, the, he, he had voiced an opinion in the, in the Senate, and um, I want to make sure I'd get my facts straight or my history kids are going to you know, laugh at me when they hear this. Um, but there was a, you know, it was during the, uh, during the slavery debate pre-Civil War. And there was a senator who voiced a, a, an opinion, and he, in doing so, he said something negative about a different senator. 
Well, the second senator's nephew came in and beat the first senator on the floor of the Senate with a cane, like broke his cane over the guy's head, sent him to the hospital. Okay. And what did the the Southerners do? Because the guy who had done the beating was a pro-slavery Southerner. Mm -hmm. The Southerners sent him replacement canes with things inscribed on it like, hit him again. Oh, wow. (laughs) And it's one of those – you look at that and you go, okay, so we've always been idiots. But at least – but the thing is at that time – this was a big enough deal to where 150 years later we're still talking about it. Sure, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's in the history book I teach it. Today, if we see politicians yelling and horrible things at each other, like that's that's not even front page news anymore. Mm-mm. No, the you news cycle I mean? switches. Like they used to say, a 24 hour news cycle. I think we're on like a four hour news cycle now. Oh yeah, because you if, find stuff if, in the morning and you don't see it in the <laughs> at night. Yeah, and it's and part of it's because of the sensational nature of it. It's almost like we've gone back to the yellow journalism of the early 1900s yeah. of it's not it's not so much reporting as it is sensationalizing. You know, there's a there's a great movie my kids love, a musical called Newsies. It has a very young Christian Bale in it if you haven't ever seen it. And one of the one of the stories that it's basically about these newspaper sellers in New York in the 1920s or 30s or whatever, early 1900s. Anyway, there's a scene in the movie where he uh, the young Christian Bale character is selling newspapers. And he says, you know, giant conflagration, millions flee in panic or whatever. And the guy and the other guy selling newspapers with him goes, Where I don't see that story. He's like, Oh, it's it's on page four. There was a dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of the point. Like, you take one thing and you completely blow it out of proportion to push whatever your agenda is. Right. And the actual facts of the matter don't matter. Yeah, and, and, and that, what, that's what, terrifying. What they don't realize is they're they're building a uh, uh, uh I guess we could say a, a foundation of sand versus concrete, you yes, know, hundred percent agree. Yeah. Cause when, when the truth comes out or whatever the truth is, you see that, you know, there was nothing there to begin with their, their arguments right. had nothing. So yeah, it's, yeah. we're in a weird situation now. Um, yeah. And folks, so you asked a great question earlier. You asked about kind of ameliorating the issue. Right. And I think, like I mentioned it, you know, national level, personal level, but the other part of it is it has to be done through education. And I don't necessarily mean formal come to my class and sit through Coach Hallbaker's history. What I mean is we need to be teaching ourselves and the younger generation, but also obviously some of the older ones, we need to be teaching them to separate fact from opinion. And we need to be te- and we need to be teaching them how to be civil to each other even when we disagree. Mm-hmm. If we could if we could teach those two things, we'd be miles ahead of where we are. Because right. a lot of people don't understand that if you say, you know, president fill in the blank, I don't care if you're talking about the current one or anybody else, president blank is the best or worst president there's ever been. That's not a fact. I don't care who you are. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're I don't care if you're a CNN talking head or a Fox talking head. To say someone is the best or worst at anything is not a fact. It is an opinion. It's an opinion, a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. But people don't realize that. So if we could teach the separation of fact and opinion. That'd be huge. And then if we could teach kids, again, just how to be civil with each other, how to disagree respectfully. You know, um, I, I am not in favor of legalizing marijuana in the state of Alabama, right? Okay, great. So if there are people who are, excellent. Let's sit down. Let's have a, a conversation about it. But let's not call each other. Let's have some ground rules. We're not going to call each other names. We're not going to imply the other person is an idiot by repeating their argument in a snarky tone of voice. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're going to talk to each other. I mean, you remember being a kid and your parents saying, I need you to I need you to be more respectful, right? I need like you remember when you get in trouble. Do you have any siblings? Yeah, oh yeah, older sister. Okay, so um you remember when you did something mean to your sister and your mom would say, Okay, you need to apologize and you'd say, Sorry. Yeah, yeah. And and then say, Okay, now say it like you mean it. Right. That's that's what we need to reteach is how to say things 
in a respectful way where we actually mean what we're saying. We're not just being flippant toward the other person. Or just to to be okay with being wrong and to be okay yes. with failing. That actually goes, it dovetails very, uh, dovetails very well with what I talk about in terms of um, humility. Because one of the things that uh, you mentioned earlier that I loved was that we need to be okay being wrong. Right. And the problem is we, the reason we don't like to be wrong is simply because of pride. Uh, we, we don't like being proven wrong. We don't like being shown up by other people. We don't like being made out to be less than anyone else. And that's, again, that goes back to that sort of millennial, everybody gets a trophy mm-hmm. kind of generation you know, that we were poo-pooing earlier um, a little bit. But, um, but there is some truth in that. And so there's, I guess, two things that I wanted to mention there. One is this idea of, of pride versus humility. Uh, and the other one I want to come back to is what I, how I think we got here which I think is worth examining real quick. Um, so the idea of, of pride is simply that it is, uh, C.S. Lewis calls pride the great sin, and it's, it's because pride is inherently competitive. That is, pride is not knowing that you're good at something. Pride is always having to prove you're better than somebody else. And that's where the issue is. Knowing that you're good at something isn't bad. Mm-hmm. Always having to prove you're better than everyone else, that's exhausting, and it doesn't help anybody sure. uh, other than yourself. And really, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt you in the long run. Um, and so that's one of the big issues that, like you mentioned, we need to just be okay being wrong, but that means we need to be willing to humble ourselves. And if we, if we see that our facts don't line up, then what we need to do is we need to take a step back and say, okay, where is my inconsistency and how do I rectify that? Because the, the sign of a great person is not that you were never wrong. It's that when you were wrong, you changed what you did and you changed what you said and you changed the way you lived. The older I get, the more I respect the founding fathers. Yeah. And, and one of the things, and plus they were young, and a lot of people don't realize that. Some of them were in their 20s. Yeah. Yep. And not well, that's only. At, at that age, 25 or 30 was yeah, middle age. They were old men. I mean, aver- average lifespan was 50 or 55. So sure. 25, like you were halfway dead. But the cojones on these guys to not only yeah. act on, on their. I mean, well, that's it. I mean, to act on their beliefs and to yep. put their, their lives, lives on the line. Their, yeah. Yep. 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 I mean, I don't know if, if people have that anymore. Um, well, and the other part of that line I love is where the, the last thing they said is, you know, we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Mm-hmm. We don't even have a concept of what sacred honor is. Right, right. If, if we did, we wouldn't treat people the way that we do. I wonder if it could come back. Um, and I say that because, uh, I don't know, a few nights ago I was, I was flipping through. Yeah, like 10 o'clock is my time, right? I try to go to bed early because I'm so busy. But um, Well, with little kids you have to. Yeah. Otherwise, they'll... Yeah. They'll run you to death at six in the morning. So they're asleep. Everyone's asleep. And then I just flip through whatever's on TV. Usually, usually it's <laughs> baseball, but, um, nice. I came across uh, United 93. I don't know if you ever saw that, Mm-mm. that movie. Well, it, it's about obviously United 93, the, um, the plane that went down in Shanksville, Pennsylvania yeah, during Pennsylvania. 9-11. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of those things like <laughs> I'm flipping through and I think there was something else on, like, let's say the Avengers and I'm like, do, do you remember on um, Seinfeld when I think they made out during Schindler's List? They were at the movie theater and they found out that they made out during Schindler's List. Well, was I kind, don't, but that's awful. It was kind of that sort of situation. I'm like, I've never seen this. And I'm watching these people on this airplane or Avengers. I'm like, ah, I, I guess I got to go with 93. Anyways. Yeah. Um, I won't watch Avengers. I should watch this other exactly, movie. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah. I, I ended up watching it. I got depressed as all hell. I went to bed just that's, not feeling yeah, good. totally fair. What's that? Yeah, I'm not excited about 9-11 next week because I take the whole day in every class I teach and that's all we talk about. Yeah. And it's yeah. always a very depressing, somber day. But I think it's important because, look, these kids I'm teaching now, 
starting with last year's freshman class, every kid I'll ever teach from here forward, they weren't born when 9-11 happened. Yeah, that's what I was, I was just going to say. That's, that's they, remarkable. I can't even imagine yeah. that. No, they, yeah, they, they have only ever known a post-9-11 world. And to them, 9-11 is just like the Civil War. Yeah. It's crap that happened before I was born, so yeah. whatever. Yeah, I, I freak myself out sometimes because as you get, like when I hit 40, I started just looking back on things. And mm-hmm. like the year I was born, Vietnam was as far in the past as, um, wait, no, 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 let me say that again. The year I was born, World War II was as far in the past as Vietnam is to kids today. And I may even have that wrong. Hold on. Let me. (laughs) Vietnam was as far in the past when I was. World War II was as far in the past when I was born as the Gulf War was. I can't. But when you start comparing things like that, you're like, holy crap. Time time starts going really, really fast. It's like, slow this this ride down. Yeah. Yeah, Slow this ride down. Absolutely. So I, I think that's important. That's part of what I, I, you know, my passion is teaching history. I love teaching it uh, in part because anybody who doesn't love history, I owe an apology to. And I think it's the reason they don't love it is because it was taught to them poorly. Yeah, yeah, that's because true. Because history is, history is fascinating because all it is is stories. Like you mentioned, like we love stories. Like you mentioned watching, wanting to watch the Avengers. Yeah. yeah. It's just a bunch of stories about people doing cool stuff. Well, that's all history is. Yeah. It, but it gets, it gets boring down in the textbooks. And so what you need to bring it back are teachers who love it and teachers who are passionate about it. And so they tell the stories well enough to keep the kids' attention. Mm-hmm. And that's becoming increasingly harder in a digital age, but it's still possible. Um, so, you know, but like we were talking about earlier, I think the big issue is those issues that are – or those, those ideas that are well-intended but poorly executed. That's kind of how we got to where we are. And so I think that you're right in saying that I wonder if the idea of kind of sacred honor could come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it can because like you mentioned watching that movie, like that's what you saw. You saw these people acting for something bigger than themselves. Yeah, they knew they, they, knew they were going to die. They, they, knew they weren't going to live. Yeah. But by sacrificing themselves in, in an honorable way, they could save other people's lives. Well, that's, that's every soldier ever. My dad was – I mentioned he was a Vietnam vet. Uh, he won three bronze stars. He oh, retired wow. as a lieutenant colonel. Like he, yeah, he had a when he finally he, he died ten years ago this past July. Okay. Um, actually, when I was at Duke, when you and I were talking, when I was up at Duke, that was the tenth anniversary of Dad passing away. And my brother wrote a beautiful article about it because my brother and my dad had a lot more tense relationship than my dad and I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dad had a he had a full military funeral with honors when he died, twenty one gun salute and all that stuff. And he didn't die in Vietnam, but he saw a lot of people who did. And those kinds of that's a like that's sacred honor. That's a sacrifice. Whether you agree with the war or not, those guys weren't over there fighting because of what the politicians in Washington were saying. Most of the people fighting in Vietnam were there fighting for the guy next to them in the right. jungle. Yeah. That's well that that's an honorable thing. Whether you agree with the overall aims of the war, we can have that debate another time. If I'm getting shot at and you're getting shot at, I don't, I don't care what's happening in Washington D.C. or Berkeley, California or anywhere else but right here. And what you saw in United 93 is that we are still capable of that. Yeah. I think in the aftermath of 9-11, a lot of people showed that Americans are still capable of that. What worries me is what is it going to take for us to actually, on a large scale, do that long term? Because you know people thought America had gone soft in World War II. Like the Nazis, Hitler… He was convinced even if America joined the war, we weren't going to do anything. Look at us. We were all, you know, I mean, yeah, we'd gone through the Great Depression, but we were still a, a, a cushy bunch of Americans who hadn't really done a whole lot in World War One, and we weren't going to be a huge factor, right? And yeah. then we became what, what we call the greatest generation, right? Mm-hmm. And 
I think we are capable of recovering that. My question is, what's going to be our motivation? Is it going to take World War III? I hope not. Yeah. Is, is it going to take another even bigger than 9-11 national tragedy? Like, what is it going to take for us to bring back the idea of honor and the idea of what I call sort of present day or contemporary chivalry? You know, where people go out of their way to take care of other people. Yeah. So um, I guess we got to start wrapping it up. We've been talking for over an hour. <laughs> uh, folks can find you at, um, I'll let you do it because I'm going to read your website and probably screw it up. And I'll, I'm sure it rolls off your tongue a lot smoother. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That's fine. Uh, people can find me at, that's uh, called um, reallifeleading.com. Um, and, uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's at real life leading, or you can find me on LinkedIn. It's just, my name is Joel Hallbaker. Uh, I'm also on Facebook, Joel W. Hallbaker or facebook.com slash real life leading. Uh, any of those places, uh, send me an email, you know, follow me, find me, whatever. I'd love to chat with them. I've been doing this now for four years. Um, okay. and it's, it's every single, you know, it's the end of the day and you're like, you know, I got to do a, a podcast. I've right. And every single one, when I'm done, I'm like, I'm so damn glad I did that because that's right. That was so much fun. Yeah, yeah. Because you just learn something yeah. every single time, and uh, yeah. and it's because people like you who take their time to talk to folks like us, and then oh, our, I appreciate it. Hey, no problem. I appreciate it as well. And Joel, we'll have to touch base again some other time. Yeah, absolutely. That be that would be excellent. Thank you very All much. Right. Thanks for coming on. Yep, my pleasure. Like us on Facebook.com slash WWI Podcast and at WWI Podcast on Twitter. Drop us a line at WaitsWhatIfPodcast at Yahoo.com. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher or TuneIn Internet Radio. Now go forth and expand your reality.